This is from Intern to Entrepreneur, the podcast for counseling and therapy graduate students who want to start planning their journey to private practice while they're still in grad school. I'm your host, Corey White, and within three years of graduating from my master's program, I had a six-figure thriving private practice, in large part because I started planning my path while I was still in grad school. This podcast is full of stories and information meant to give you ideas about how you can carve your own path to the therapy career that you want. Please note that when you're listening to this podcast, licensure laws and requirements vary from state to state. So check with your state board about what you can and can't do on your journey. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of From Intern to Entrepreneur. Oh, hey there, grad students and future entrepreneurs. This is episode five of From Intern to Entrepreneur. And five feels like a milestone number to me. So I know it's a really small milestone, but I'm going to celebrate it anyway. And I just want to thank everybody who has been supportive of me and who has had kind words for me about this podcast so far. You're awesome. And I love creating this content for grad students. So thanks for that. But today's episode is real inspirational. It is with Megan Gunnell-Smith. And she, here's, here's a couple of the things that she does. She hosts a Facebook group called Thriving Therapist Facebook Group for 18,000 therapists are in that group. That's amazing. She hosts international and national retreats on pretty large scales. That's pretty cool. And she owns the Thriving Well Institute. So she does a lot of cool things that are in alignment and meant to, with her, and are meant to help therapists learn how to thrive in their lives and in their careers. I know that when I was in grad school, I would listen to podcasts while I was cleaning or while I was driving to grad school or while I was walking that were inspiration stories to me. I wanted to hear stories about therapists who were doing really cool things so that I could get through grad school. That is what got me through grad school. But then also after I graduated grad school, it's what gave me the inspiration to start my practice and to dream bigger than just working for someone, which is fine if that's what you wanted to do, but I just knew I wanted to do more. And so listening to stories from people like Megan helped me do that. And so that's what I'm hoping this interview does for you. Now, Megan has a lot of big things that she does, and she's been doing this for a lot of years. So I don't want you to listen to this and think, oh my God, like the second I get out of grad school, I've got to be building an 18,000 person community. You don't need to do that. And you're not going to do that. You're going to be focused on one-to-one client work when you get out of grad school. But you can start planting seeds to do things that are bigger in the future. And Megan's story and the way she tells the story of how she built what she built is really that of like brick by brick, planting seeds. That's what I want you to hear from her story along with whatever else you hear from her story that you think is important. And I'd love to hear more about what you do think is important uh, from her story. So you can share that in my Facebook group uh, from Intern to Entrepreneur or, you know, with me even in an email. So I'm going to stop talking about this. I'm going to shut up for a second so we can get right to the interview. I hope that you're as inspired by Megan as I am. Listeners, meet Megan. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to have this conversation. Yeah. Well, let's jump right into it because I know that you have a really unique kind of situation where you are now and you have a really interesting story about how you got to where you are now. So tell everybody who is listening or watching a bit about the snapshot of where you are right now and what you do. So 
Uh, that's a great way to open. It's always good to give people a little bit of a um, 30,000 foot you know, view. And right now, I would say it's a totally different picture from where I started 20 years ago. Um, currently, I'm in the process of planning five retreats. Four of those are international locations um, within the next calendar year. So that's something I never thought I would say out loud is like I have four international, one national uh, retreat planned. Some of these are for up to 130 guests. Um, I run the Thriving Therapist Facebook community with 18,000 members in that community, and I teach them how to build and scale their private practice. And I am now an Amazon number one bestselling author for my book, Thriving as a Therapist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And regarding your retreats, can you tell people a little bit about what your retreats are, who they're for, and why you do them? Sure. I started out as a solo private practice therapist, and I started building retreats for my clients. So I heard a lot of people in my practice asking for opportunities to have wellness and self-care and meditation and mindfulness in beautiful locations. And I decided to start building those for my clients. And then fast forward you know, to this point in my career, I would say in the last three to four years, I started building retreats for the Thriving Therapist community because so many therapists were saying, we're burned out, we need a reset, we're looking for a retreat for ourselves. So I started creating small retreats and then those sold out so quickly that I created larger summits. And they're really designed to be opportunities both for learning and inspiration. And the retreats that I design are always um, addressing sort of the mind, body, and spirit components for people so that they get a chance to reset and relax their bodies, clear their head, and kind of think about what their own highest potential is and reconnect to that passion and purpose, and then do something soulful and creative and kind of challenge themselves with maybe an adventure or an excursion that really stretches them beyond what they thought was possible. So they're really built to be transformative experiences for people, whether they're a weekend or a week long. Yeah, I think that's really wonderful that just for people to really understand that, okay, so you were a therapist and now you've sort of transformed this into helping people, helping therapists take care of themselves, which who better to do that than a therapist? Right. Right. So I love that kind of trajectory. So, all right, let's go all the way back to the beginning though. How did you even get into the therapy world? Tell me about that journey to you becoming a therapist. Um, It was a very rocky road. I got my wonderful graduate degree from the University of Michigan. I felt super confident when I graduated and I was ready to just bust out into the world and open a private practice. And I thought that my goal was to literally secure office space somewhere in a town, you know, related to where I was located. And that I would just somehow magically, if I rented office space, I was going to build a practice. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea what that really meant. I had no experience or education in building the business, in doing the marketing, in building the referral network. I had no idea how to find my niche or how to even serve my capacity. And I was completely disillusioned when I started that journey. And so I remember distinctly going into this private practice near my home that was a group practice. And I asked the director if I could sublease an office there. 
And within a matter of minutes, I like had a contract in my hands and I went home and I was like, I did it. I started a practice. And my husband looked at me and was like, you just secured rent. (laughs) That's like, you have no clients. Like, how are you going to do this? So it was a really scary start. But slowly over time, I started to learn all the missing pieces. And with the help of a couple veteran therapists at the group practice and just a lot of sort of blood, sweat, and tears, and a lot of sweat equity, I um, really kind of dove in deep to understand a little bit more about marketing, about providing impeccable service to my clients, about building a mutually beneficial referral network. And once I did that, my caseload was full. But then there lies another problem. And we can maybe get to that later. But once you fill your caseload, that's also not the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you live in a state then where once you graduate from a master's program, you can start a practice right away. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I correct. Like that too. And as I'm learning, as I talk to more and more people, a lot of states are not like that. And you're in Michigan. Is that right? That's right. That's what I thought. So help me understand how you or how you even conceptualize this. Like, how did you have the guts or how did you even know that you could start a practice? Or like, how was that part of your mindset going into your graduate program or, or did it, did it happen along the way? It started before that. So I actually was a music therapist and I worked in the hospital setting for about a decade um, with my bachelor's degree in music therapy. And I worked at the bedside with um, patients literally from labor and delivery to hospice. I did inpatient psychiatry, cancer, pain management, rehab. I did all kinds of different work in the hospital setting, providing music therapy. And after many years of doing that, I realized something was missing. I really wanted to take my work a little deeper. I wanted to, I always kind of envisioned having a private practice. And I thought maybe one day I could do that, but I wasn't sure how to get there. And I didn't know even what degree to pursue. So I remember asking a couple mentors who I did some extra training and certification with who were LMSWs and LCSWs, I was asking them about their degree. And if I wanted to go to grad school, what should I do? Should I do a full PhD in psychology? Should I get a counseling degree? Should I do a social work degree? I was actually opposed to the social work degree at first because I thought that's not really going to you know, be what I want. I don't want to be a social worker. But I didn't really understand that social work was actually one of the best and easiest and fastest paths for me to pursue private practice because it didn't require the never-ending supervision that some degrees uh, you know, require. It didn't require a PhD in order to build a practice. And it provided me with the ecological lens of really seeing my clients as a whole person in their environment, which was already very familiar to me being a music therapist and kind of working in the context of you know, integrative medicine, for example. So it was kind of an easy and natural segue for me, um, but it wasn't easy when I went through the degree and then I you know, had zero training on how to build a practice, which is what most people who were in that degree program wanted to do. Not a lot of them were begging for macro level positions. Not a lot of them wanted to work for nonprofits. Not a lot of them were hungry for community mental health jobs. Like, you know, they really wanted to build a private practice, but that was really missing from our wonderful, yet not totally comprehensive degree. 
this is something that is standing out to me about your story is I've heard you kind of say twice that you relied on the uh, information from mentors mm-hmm. to help you make a decision about uh, how to move through where you were. Mm-hmm. And I that there's something that's really standing out to me about that in thinking about your ability to create success for yourself, but also for you to be kind of having guidance along the way. Mm -hmm, For sure. Because remember, (laughs) I'm older than you are. And so when I graduated, there were no coaches, no courses and no guidance. So there was nobody out there. There were no therapist influencers at all in the space of, there was no thriving therapist. There was no community for people to learn how to build a practice. And I literally didn't even know I had to open a business bank account. I didn't understand what an LLC was. I didn't know what a tax ID was. I had no idea how to pay quarterly taxes. I had no idea you know, how to build a business or even make a business card. I mean, I didn't even understand how to network. So I was completely in the dark when it came to not only just the business side of it, but also all the other things that go with private practice that were just not taught in school. You know, like what kind of forms are we supposed to have? I mean, how do you move a client from an inquiry through an intake and then through, you know, working with them and scheduling them? And how do you handle no shows and lay fees? And like none of that was covered for us because our our degree and probably very similar to your own education was really focused on the clinical work, the theory, the methodology, you know, all of the important pieces of becoming a social worker, but it really didn't help me with practical applications. So this was again, like, this was like so long before any of these people were out in this space doing the work of sort of guiding therapists through the process of the missing pieces of their education. Had I had that knowledge, had I even had you know, a fraction of what I'm teaching now in my own community or what I put in my book, had I had just a little tiny piece of that, my journey would have been so much easier, so much less painful. And I would have been able to serve the clients who needed me the most so much faster. That's a really good point that the more support we get in our career outside of the clinical piece, the more bandwidth we have to show up in sessions with our clients. Mm-hmm. And I think so that- true. Yeah, that's something that I think grad programs overlook, maybe not intentionally, because they have a lot to do, right? They have a lot of things they need to cover, but they do a bit of a disservice, I think, to helping people actually come out and be thriving therapists. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, it's like we, we come out and we are very good clinicians, And there's not really a way of, well, how do I make my life work like this and in this career and in this job? So yeah, I do also love that there is so much support for therapists, especially new therapists, to be able to integrate some of, oh, how do I make a life that I want to live with? How do I also serve the people that I want to serve? Mm -hmm. I do, I am curious to know from you a little bit more about how you create things outside of one-to-one therapy, because Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of new therapists that I talk to have a hard time conceptualizing what they can do besides see clients in a one-on-one setting, a couple setting, or a group setting. So how Mm -hmm. how did that happen for you? Well, I think I got to the point where, honestly, I wanted more variety in my work. I was 
really chugging along with the one-on-one, you know, clients. I was, my practice was full. I really figured out how to fill my caseload. I was doing great with that. But then I really kind of missed the things that I used to do as a music therapist. I missed groups. I missed connection. I missed community. I missed like the exchanges that happen when you have more than one person in the room. I missed creativity in terms of like art and music and meditation and, you know, all different kinds of creative things that I used to do on a regular basis with all the people that I worked with on my integrative medicine teams and hospitals. I was really missing that. I mean, don't forget, I was like bringing drum circles to inpatient psych units. I was bringing the harp to the bedside for, you know, hospice patients. I was assisting through labor and deliveries. I was doing very creative work and I was working with art therapists, doing mask making and mandalas. And that stuff really filled me up. And so here I was, postgraduate degree, built the practice of my dreams, really busy with one-on-one cases. But then I also thought, what, what's next? You know, I got to this point where I filled my caseload, but I still wanted to increase my income, but I didn't want to do it by, you know, adding more hourly sessions. Because that's, in my opinion and my experience, one of the fastest ways for therapists to achieve burnout is to continue to grow their income by adding one-on-one hourly sessions. So when I got to that point myself, I also at the same time was hearing a similar echo from several people in my practice that were asking for things beyond the one-on-one session. So I heard a lot of busy working women that I was working with, mostly busy working moms that were my clients, say over and over to me, what I wouldn't give for a day to myself that I could just have like a one day retreat where I didn't have to think about making any food and somebody would give me a massage or I would get some yoga in there and I would learn something cool and I would be able to connect with people and do some meditation. So when I heard them saying these things, I was like, oh my gosh, you're giving me permission to build it. And that's how groups, one day workshops and retreats were born. And from there, I built really creative things, you know, community kind of groups. I built um, women's groups. I built meditation groups. I built harp music groups with, you know, muscle relaxations and guided imagery. And then I built retreats because one thing will lead to another. So what I find is when you're thinking about scaling your business as a therapist and you want to trade that sort of one-on-one hourly office schedule to you know, reduce that hourly one-on-one, but increase your income and increase your impact. There are so many ways to do that. And it can be as simple as just starting a group. I mean, let's do the math really fast. If you're seeing you know, 20, 30 clients a week, which sometimes we do, right? I saw 35 clients a week for 10 years. It was like crazy. I don't know how I did that. It was too many. But when I got to the point where I wanted to change that metric, I thought to myself, I'm going to build a weekend or a weeknight group for women, and I'm going to have 10 women in it, and they're going to pay 40 bucks a pop, and we're going to do a six-week session. And it's going to be meditation and goal setting and sharing and community, and it will be really great, and we're just going to do it for six weeks. I'm going to see if I can do it. And with that $400 a session, I'm going to remove my Wednesday morning client caseload of one-on-one clients. So I would do two days of long client days, have Wednesday morning free, see a couple people in the afternoon, run home for dinner, you know, flip into my second shift a little bit and run back to my office and do my evening group. 
And then I had Thursday, Friday clients. And after a while of doing that, I decided, oh my gosh, now I can move from the group thing to maybe they want a retreat. And so I built a retreat for these women. And then I was like, wow, with that money, now I can like remove several days out of my month. And then it just continued to grow and grow and grow. And now with larger offerings and even passive income, like my online courses or whatever else I have going on, the book, retreats and things like that, it's a much different metric for me than it was when I was just focused on serving clients one hour at a time. Yeah. Something I want to highlight about what you're saying is this is really an entrepreneurial mindset. Mm -hmm. So this podcast is from intern to entrepreneur. And I think that teaching people how to think entrepreneurially is really important. And what you're saying is that you had the aspect of creativity. So you could think about how could I make more money, but then you also combine that with how do I create the strategy to make that realistic? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's something I really want people who are listening right now to hear is, all right, if you're not, uh, if you're burned out or if you're not liking the way something is going, you can put your thinking cap on and go, what do people want from me? How do I give it to them in a way that works in my life better and creates more financial opportunity for me so that I can drop some of the things that are burning me out or uh, taking up some space? So yeah, that's a perfect example of that. And all of that that you just shared is absolutely true, but I would add one other key component. So the other part that I think is so critical is to make sure you're filling a gap, that -hmm. you're actually filling a need, Mm -hmm. that you're hearing people ask for something that doesn't currently exist and that you're building it because then you're more guaranteed to know that whatever you're creating will sell. So what I often see from therapists that I do coaching with these days is that they come to me with these brilliant ideas. And they're like, I've been a therapist for 10 years. I know everything there is to know about X, Y, and Z subjects. So therefore, I'm going to build this cool online course, and I'm going to launch it into the world. Or I'm going to build this really great retreat, and I'm going to launch it into the world. But what they're missing is either the platform, the audience, or that their audience hasn't asked them for that. And so I've seen too often sometimes, sometimes people will build something really great, but they have a really hard time selling it or filling it because people aren't asking for it. So what worked for me was to keep my ear to the ground and listen carefully for the gaps in service. And so if you can hear that there's a need that your audience is asking for, and you probably have to kind of like listen between the lines, you know, for those kinds of things. But entrepreneurs who are very savvy can pivot quickly and they can hear that and create a product, a service, or an offer that will meet that need. Hey, grad students, real quick before we get back to this interview, if you are loving the idea of being a part of a community of like-minded graduate students who want to own their own private practice one day, then you need to head to Facebook and join my Facebook group from intern to entrepreneur. There's already a community set up of graduate students who one day want to own their own private practices and be entrepreneurs just like you. So head over to Facebook, join that group, and stay in the loop and get connected with people who are doing things that you want to do. Back to the interview. So let me, let's do a little definition here because the people that are listening to this probably um, might not exactly understand what you're saying and how that translates to where they are. So when you're saying audience, 
if we translate to the that to them, that's their initial clients. That's the clients that they get. That's the one-to-one clients. You were listening to your audience who were your 35 people a week on your caseload, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. that's what you listened to to create the the thing that you could offer them that was filling that need. Correct. Help people understand how you grew that audience, grew your caseload in a way that you were hearing similar echoes because when all of the newer therapists that I talk to, they go, I go, what do you do? And they go, oh, I see people with depression, anxiety, grief, trauma, everything. Like, and they just say everything because that's, Mm -hmm. they're not told to niche in their grad programs, right? Mm -hmm. Because they want to get a broad experience of things. How would you suggest they build their audience or client list in a way that will allow them to have continuity? That's a great question. And I can give you a concrete example. So on your intake form, you can add a line that says, would you like us to add you to our email newsletter or email list? And they can say yes or no. And if they say yes, you can reassure them that it's, they can unsubscribe at any time. They can, um, it's, it's never sold or shared. It remains confidential. And then you build an email list. And so I started doing this when I first built a practice and I asked my clients on the intake form if they would like to be added to my email list. Some of them said no, some of them said yes, some of them unsubscribed, it's no big deal. Um, But I added them into an email listserv, like a software program for email um, newsletters. And I created a really great value added newsletter for my clients. And I only sent it out like twice a month and I blogged consistently. So I was giving a lot of value and I was sharing some good insight, great tips and strategies. My blogs were born out of themes that I heard in my practice. So I would hear a lot of people talking about something and I would say, oh my gosh, this would be a great blog. Like I'm hearing people say it over and over. You know how you have that like sort of a subconscious theme or something running through like the weeks that you're working with people and you're like, gosh, everybody's talking about that this week. And it's like, is it in the water? Is it in the weather? What's going on? But there is that feeling of like, there's something that you need to convey. And I did that through my blog. And then every once in a while, when I had an offer, like a women's retreat or a group or something, I was offering a program on meditation or guided imagery, I would then put that in the email. And so I built my email list over time and also invited people to share. So I put a very clear call to action in the email and I would say, if you found this blog or this newsletter helpful, please feel free to share this or have other people sign up for the list. And it was just a wonderful way to generate a really highly engaged, warm audience. Mm-hmm. And then when I had something to sell, it was easy to fill it because mm-hmm. I had a lot of clients who were interested in these retreats. And the retreats that I originally ran for clients were relatively small. They were never over 20 people. Um, most of them were 10 or 12 people at a weekend Airbnb in Northern Michigan or something, but many of them were in Costa Rica and they were for 20 or 24 people or something, but they were not huge events. And so my list was large enough that I knew if I built these annual events, they would fill really quickly. And I even created a wait list for it. So once one of them would sell out, I'd have a wait list for the next one. Um, so that really helped too. But you're right. You have to start thinking about some of these things early um, because if you're not building your list or your audience, then it does become a little tricky. And even clients that were past clients who I completed working with or I terminated, 
they were still on my email list. And sometimes they would come back for a retreat or something else. So it was great to have that network um, to draw from for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. And then skipping ahead a bit, what are the advantages to the way that you have transitioned your life now? Well, I can tell you that there's a lot of advantages. I feel really energized because I'm not doing 35 clients a week. My caseload has significantly been able to be a lot smaller. I've lessened it because I also built a group practice a few years ago. So any new referral coming my way uh, that I couldn't serve personally was able to be um, you know, given over to someone else on my team if that person who called wanted to work with them. So I built a group practice. I now have five therapists working with me on my team. They're amazing clinicians and they're filling their caseloads, but not to the point of burnout. I'm always really careful to tell them, don't keep taking new clients um, because you really don't want to do more than like 20, 22 hours a week. I feel like, you know, if you're getting closer to 25, 30, 35 clients a week, 40, even I've heard people take 40. It's really dangerous. I mean, you can really get compassion fatigue. You can get secondary trauma. You can definitely burn out. Um, it becomes difficult for you to have the space and energy in your life to do the things that you really want to do and to be present for the people that you love the most. Mm, so yeah. what I noticed in my own experience, and you may have felt this too, that when you have a really burgeoning caseload for years, that I just felt like I couldn't even hear my family anymore. I was like, I can't even listen to like the needs of my kids or my husband or whatever. I was like, I don't even have the capacity or bandwidth to like be present to the needs of my own family. And when I felt that and realized that was true, I thought I have to make a shift. So you asked me, what are the advantages of how I've designed my life now? I mean, it's a whole different world. I, I you know, I'm a, I'm in, in a totally different space. Um, I'm, you know, hosting this community online with thousands of therapists who are asking questions about how to build and scale their practice. Um, I've written a book for them. I've written six online courses for them. I've hosted summits internationally for 150 of them in Costa Rica and beyond. And it's just been an amazing, amazing experience for me to be able to translate the things that I love doing and inspire an entire audience of people to do the same. I just, my passion is two things. I want to increase access to outpatient mental health care, number one. And number two, I want to protect the therapists who serve those clients and truly teach them how to thrive so that they're not going to burn out and not leave the field. We need them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know the exact statistic, but my business partner actually recently um, said that, uh, that she had found some statistic that said, you know, these are the number of people that after two years, two years, just two, uh, you know, so this is people that, are, that, that aren't, don't even make it to licensure are out of the field. And I can't remember what the number was, but I remember being like, oh my God, that's high. And to think of what we invest in our education, that's tragic, you know? So tragic. Yeah. Yeah. And and part of what I love about what you do is that you create community for people to be able to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. and for people to be able to gravitate toward one another in a way where they're in alignment and you're getting to pick like, right. I have this local area I'm in Berks County and there's some people that I really love and I don't dislike anybody, but it's really hard for me to find people that are doing what I'm doing or, or who I want to learn from in this little pocket of the world. Right. Sure. And so I had come to your uh, Utah retreat. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And that was a, it was, that was a way for me to, first of all, because my business was doing well, I paid for it through my business. So it was a vacation from Pennsylvania to Utah that I took that I didn't pay a cent for out of my personal account, which Love was that. Really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got to connect with people who I just had a lot of synchronicity with and mm-hmm. people who I still talk to and people that I've traveled with. Uh, to do other things. And it's definitely enhances my career because I am able to take from them, give to them in a way that if I stay small and if I'm not connecting and thinking about my career outside of what I'm doing right here in, in you know, Reading, Pennsylvania, Berks County, um, I wouldn't be able to get that in that way. And so right. I also it's important for therapists to be thinking long-term about how do I stay fulfilled in my career in a way where I'm taking care of myself, where I'm not burnt out and where my career is, is a, is a thing I like, not right. something that I'm, you know, Sunday scaries don't want to go to work tomorrow. Exactly. And I think you're touching on one of the most important aspects of our jobs as therapists. And that's like the human connection component. We love human connection. That's why we're in this field, you know, for for one of the reasons we're in this field. We love relationships. We find them fascinating. We love human interest stories. Like we, we love connection with other people. But oftentimes this field is very isolating. And so what I found with the thriving therapist that you just described is not only in our digital kind of online space community that we have on Facebook, that we find each other and connect with each other and feel seen and heard. But when we do gather for in-person events and retreats and summits and, you know, CE learning opportunities and all kinds of things, workshops, it is so enriching because you just feel so validated. You feel so seen and so heard. And we need that. We need that sense of community. And we need to look to our peers to say, what are you doing that I'm not doing? How can I learn from you? You know, I'm doing that too. I'm not at the top of this community <clears throat> hosting it um, like somebody that knows everything. I'm learning with you. I'm also learning with the community. So I find it to be really energizing. It's a really rich um, experience for me to be able to have these kinds of connections. And I don't know where I would be without this community today. I mean, I it's it's changed me as much as it's changed other people who are part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it's offered you a lot of really cool opportunities to to do things that are really fulfilling to you mm-hmm. um, in a way that is in alignment with who you are and the way that you work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Because people that are listening to this podcast are at the very beginning of their journey, Give me a timeline of, okay, so you graduate from your master's program to now. How long has that been so that they can kind of gauge? You know, I think that oftentimes people are like, I'll never get there, right? Thinking that, oh, it's just going to be overnight. What kind of timeline are we talking right now between you graduate and, and where you are today? I mean, it's almost been 20 years that I've had my MSW. And prior to that, I was 10 years in as a music therapist. So I've been doing this for a hot minute. <laughs> so it has been a little while. but. Not everybody is going to be on this trajectory. So, you know, I don't think everybody wants to do exactly what I'm doing now, but I do think there's opportunities for therapists to not only thrive in just their private practice building, but also thrive in this scaling. And that can even be small efforts like we talked about. You could build a one-day workshop for people. You could build a group or a series um, of, of workshops for your clients. You could build community events. 
you could build, you know, I've heard people build like, you know, healthy 5k runs or something like that for their community. So there's retreats you can create, there's courses you can create, but it doesn't have to look like this. It doesn't have to be, you know, kind of therapist influencer, 18,000 people or whatever in a, in a Facebook community that, that was never part of my initial vision. I never thought I would be in this place. Um, but here I am doing this. So, but it's not for everybody. Yes. And I think my question's more geared toward just you thriving now in the way that is unique to you. And mm-hmm. for people to really understand that for your journey, based on what I'm hearing, is it's been planting little seeds along the way that have built on, okay, so, you know, you, you, well, first of all, even before you get your, your degree, right, you're already doing creative therapeutic work. And so then you incorporate that into some of your work, it sounds like, and then you do a one day retreat and then there's a, maybe a local two day retreat. And then there's a, right. So this Mm -hmm. idea that I want young therapists, new therapists to be thinking about what seeds they're planting, even if they don't know what their crop looks like at the end. Exactly. So that they're getting somewhere where they can say, I'm flourishing. I'm taken care of. I am, I am, I am where I want to be in this moment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that's the key is to start small and to build with what's right in front of you. So, you know, just starting really in a small way does not have to be a huge effort. I do see therapists sometimes that have big dreams of hosting big week-long international retreats, but that didn't happen overnight for me. So you're right. When you think about one-day workshops leading to a two-night stay at a local place that's a couple hours away to a little further away to a four-night thing to something, you know, that we have to take a plane to, you know, so it's still within the continental U.S., but like a little further to like a week-long, you know, experience somewhere where I was, my original Costa Rica retreats that were for clients that were seven um, days in Costa Rica I didn't fill those myself. I did it with a colleague. So um, I had a therapist friend who was also hosting some local retreats. And I was like, we should, you know, kind of band together and create an international one together. So don't forget that your colleagues are not your competitors. They are your cohorts, right? So they are people who can cross promote something with you. They can definitely co-elevate it. They can definitely fill it with you. I mean, they can definitely be um, an asset to you. And I think that's another piece that we have to think about is that we're not in competition with other therapists. We're really working with them. We can work with them and that can be very advantageous for our careers. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's get to our final two questions here. One is what is one piece of practical advice that you would offer to graduate students who are interested in an entrepreneurial journey? The most important thing I think is to stay connected to what's true for you as a provider. And what I mean by that is for me, I was originally a creative arts therapist and I couldn't really separate that from my talk therapy career. And so if I wanted to bring in elements of my creative history, whether that was art or, you know, music or meditation or whatever it was, that worked well for me. And when I highlighted that that was part of my skill set, more clients were interested in working with me that were really my perfect clients, my ideal clients, because I was kind of afraid of sharing that on my website. And I was afraid of talking about it. Um, I kind of felt like, oh, people are going to think that's a little crazy or, you know, they're going to think that's woo woo or weird. 
But when I embraced it and thought it's not actually woo-woo or weird, it's not new age, it's really comprehensive and very beneficial, then I just leaned into it a little harder in like the blogs that I was writing and what I put out there in terms of my website. And suddenly I noticed that everybody that was writing to work with me with a client inquiry said, I was drawn to work with you because of what I saw on your website about drum circles and heart music and guided imagery and mandala making and mask making and all this other cool stuff. So I would say in terms of practical advice, really stay in tune with what makes you unique as an individual practitioner. And that's going to serve you well over time. Your perfect clients will resonate with that. Yes. And that is, I'm hearing how you built your audience or your Mm -hmm. client list in a way that led to you being able to do some of the really cool stuff that you did. Mm -hmm. So that's great practical advice. Mm -hmm. What's one piece of mindset advice that you would like to offer to graduate students interested in an entrepreneurial journey? It boils down to one word, abundance. And I constantly thought when I was building a practice, even when I had no one calling, that I was abundantly full. I had this like vision that I held on to, a mindset vision that I was well provided for, that money flowed easily into my bank account, that I was abundant with clients, I was abundant with energy, I had plenty of time to do everything I wanted to do, and I was never for want. And so I always, anytime I got into fear and scarcity, I would just pause myself and move back into abundance. I even used part of the word abundance in my own password so that I would have to see it every time I like did anything on my phone or my computer or anything. I was like, I'm going to put that in front of me all the time. So I just, I constantly was moving myself back to an abundant mindset. And I would even tell people when they asked me, how's your practice going? I'm like, it is just gangbusters. I was like, it's totally full. I'm like, it's, it's abundant. I can't believe it. Even when I didn't have enough clients, I was feeling that sense of it's totally full. It's going exactly the way I want it to. And I leaned into that hard, almost a fake it till you make it feeling, but it really helped me with mindset. Sure. And so anytime I started to get a little scarcity and fear-based, I just moved back over to that abundant mindset. And it really, really helped me. And before I knew it, it was true. That's wonderful. And I think that that's such a great way to reframe mindset in a way of, yeah, because when we're in fear mindset, when we're in scarcity mindset, we don't make decisions that are in alignment with what we actually want. We make decisions that are in alignment with being afraid. And so, yeah, move yourself back into that abundant, uh, abundant mindset means that you are constantly challenging yourself to make decisions from a place of alignment with, with Mm -hmm. yourself and what you actually wanted. So that's very cool. Yes. It really helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So if people want to connect with you, contact you, where would you like to direct them? What can they do? Anyone can find me on the thriving therapist, Facebook community, or you can go to my website, thrivingwellinstitute.com. Awesome. And I will link that in our show notes. Megan, thank you so much for being here with me today and offering all of your knowledge and wisdom to graduate students in uh, our counseling related fields. And yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And what you're providing here is truly important to new people entering our field. So thanks for what you're doing. 
I hope that you loved this episode of From Intern to Entrepreneur. And if you want to learn more about what we talked about, check out the show notes. If you love this podcast and you want to support me in continuing to create content for entrepreneurs, then please share this with a friend, a grad student, who you think might want their own private practice one day. And also like, subscribe, and review this podcast wherever you're listening to it. 